The Blacks and Whites Network proudly presents Catherine Raker of Let's Just Talk. Hi, this is Catherine Raker of Let's Just Talk. I am so pleased to have a wonderful gal that is, her name is M.K. Lever, a former Division I athlete and Ph.D. candidate of UT Austin, who combines her personal experience as a college athlete and the weight of her academic research in areas concerning NCAA rhetoric, discourse, and policy to create her stunning and emotionally driven literary debut with Serving the Second Tier. Tell, I want to welcome you to our show today. Can you tell us what the book concentrates on, if you don't mind? And this is your first book? Yes. It is, yes. It's a debut. Okay, so tell us a little bit about it, and why did you decide to write it? Yeah, so I decided to write it because um, I study NCAA policy and sports law. is a huge part of my research as well, and those kinds of documents are kind of dry and boring, um, but the consequences of, of policies and laws on college athletes are very important to me. And so I wanted a, an interesting way to talk about my research because when I would jump into policy books with people, when they would ask about my research, I noticed their eyes would kind of glaze over and they'd check out of the conversation. So I was like, I need an exciting way to talk about this because it's really exciting to me. And, you know, like I said, the consequences are so important. And so I eventually started describing the NCAA as a dystopia when people would ask me about my research. Um, and the metaphor stuck with people, um, and it would, you know, generate these really interesting conversations. So I was like, okay, cool, this metaphor is working. Like, it's a way to talk about my research in a way that's engaging. And over time, I noticed, like, nobody was writing the book. It seemed, you know, like, not a super far stretch for me. I was like, all these elements in dystopian literature, like coercion and control and surveillance, they're all present in the college sports industry. And so I eventually just decided to, to write it, and I never intended on publishing it. It was just a way to get the characters and the world that I had built out of my head so that I could be productive in other areas because it was driving me nuts. Um, and and it, just, it was eventually – it was a side project that just eventually got out of control, and, and that's how the book happened. So it's a novel more so than – a biographical piece by yourself. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. It, it's a fictional, um, it, it's a work of fiction that's based on, loosely based on my research. How has your academic research in the area, area of NCAA policy and discourse influenced the story in a big way? Correct? Yes, yes. And, and that's been a huge influence on it, um, you know, because the more I look at NCAA policy and even, you know, sports law, too, the more I realize that um, the issues that we read about with college athletes in the news, like we read about, um, you know, food insecurity and athlete abuse and injuries and all of these things, they're caused mostly, in my opinion, by bad policies. Um, and not only what is written into NCAA policies, but what's not written. So, for example, um, going back to athlete abuse, there are no protections for athletes against coach abuse, which is how things like um, the Larry Nassar scandal and, and DJ Durkin and all of these very abusive actors in the NCAA 
got away with what they were doing and continue to get away with what they're doing for, for such a long time. Um, and so I weave in elements of that into my book because I wanted for people to get attached to these characters and to see, you know, like, oh, this is happening to athletes in real life, and this is something that, you know, I, I care uh, that I care about now that I've learned more about it. So I wanted to teach people in a way that wasn't just throwing, you know, statistics and, and facts and testimonies at them. I wanted to get them attached to these characters and humanize athletes a little bit. Now, is there some main characters that you want to tell us about? Yes, I'll talk about my protagonist. Um, her name is Sis Jones, and just as a little bit of world building, um, basically my novel takes place in the future where um, athletic departments have spent too much money on things like facilities and coach salaries, and so this industry is about to go bankrupt. And so the governing body of college sports steps in and says, okay, we're going to salvage this industry by downsizing our model into a single sport model. And that one sport is fighting because it's cheap. It doesn't require a lot of uh, facilities or officials. It's flashy and, and violent and, and something that people will enjoy watching. Um, and so that's how – the uh, AFA or the Amateur Fighting Association salvages this this really lucrative industry that was about to go under. And so my novel follows um, Sis Jones, who is the only undefeated fighter in the AFA, but she's also a second-tier fighter. So she's not quite in the upper echelon of college athletes, and she wants to prove herself, but she's dealing with relational tensions with her teammates and her coaches. Um, she's dealing with an injury that is really threatening to to derail her in this final year because she's a senior. And she's also dealing with just the basic pressures that all college athletes deal with, like having to maintain a social life for your sanity and having to keep your grades up and, you know, studying on the team bus and stuff like that. Um, And so it really just paints a more holistic picture of college athletes than what I think we see a lot in sports media. Right, and the other thing is there's so many kids that are now in, in the Olympics and they get injured and they have to continue to perform. Do you find that a little upsetting? Yes, I find it very upsetting, and that that's something that I see in college sports a lot too. Um, athletes get injured and they want to keep their scholarship, and so they have to train through injuries and, and make them worse. And I was one of those athletes in college. I had – um, back injuries, hip injuries, and knee injuries that were just caused by excessive training um, and, and, and all of the complications that come from not being allowed to rest and not, you know, because I didn't want to risk my scholarship. I didn't want to risk all of the success that I was having, and so I continued to push myself to the point where these injuries became chronic, and there's still, they're still something that I deal with on a day-to-day basis. And so just knowing that other athletes are dealing with that, um, it really it makes me I, I would say angry more than anything else because there's not a whole lot that the NCAA is doing about that. Wow. So were you? Tell me, were you in what what sport were you in? I was a distance runner. I ran uh, track and cross country. That's what my daughter did, but she wasn't. She didn't. You know, she did it in college, and she still runs, but she's had injuries. So I understand that. My son, mm-hmm. who was in the soccer world, he not professionally, but he still deals with injuries from that. And I think you live, you almost have to live with it, and it can be extremely painful at times, correct? Yeah, it's like 
some, at, at one point you just get used to living around the pain. So when my knee, when my knee was in really bad shape, I knew, okay, if I bend it, like this, and it's going to hurt, so I just need to use my other knee, or I need to, you know, take the elevator instead of stairs. Um, and I was very, you know, fortunate to have access to a, a, a physical, or I'm sorry, um, a physical therapist who was just excellent, and she um, really helped me to heal up that injury. But um, even now, it's like there are sometimes there are some days where I'm like, oh, well, the stairs are not going to happen today, so i got to take the elevator, or, you know, I really wanted to go for this morning, but that's not going to happen. So it's something that you learn to live with, I think. Are you in the book personally under an assumed name? <laughs> it's funny because I have friends and, and my boyfriend and my family who are in the process of reading this book, and they're like, you know, I, I see a lot of you in this protagonist, Katie, and I'm like, I, I'm like, I mean, I was, my, it was the debut, and my um, public, my my developmental editor rather was uh, telling me, you know, in the process of writing, that you have to write what you know. And so I ended up projecting a lot of personal experiences onto my characters in ways that were different than what I had experienced in some ways, but also very similar. So it, it, it's personal. It felt a little bit like publishing a diary of sorts, um, which was scary, but. I really think that the best writing comes from those very vulnerable places that we don't necessarily want to talk about, um, and, and especially you know that we wouldn't that we wouldn't invite conversations about or, or invoke those kinds of conversations. So I think that really great writing comes from vulnerability, and that was something that I tried to do in this book. Well, that's exciting. Is there a second book after this one? I would love to write a sequel to Surviving the Second Tier. I've, I've tentatively started on it. Um, the only problem is I'm in the middle of writing my dissertation right now, so um, yeah, it's, that's it's a, a lot. Little, it's a lot, yeah. So it's yeah. a whole other book project that I'm working on right now. Um, but it's definitely something that's on my radar in the future. I just I have to get this degree first because I'm done with school. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question. When are you done with school finally? Um, hopefully this time next year I will have the degree in hand. Um, I, I'm also a freelance sports writer on the side, and so my public scholarship takes up a lot of my time, and I'm okay with that. Um, but, you know, if something, if there's a big, like, news break with the NCAA that I have to cover next year, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But fingers crossed this time next year I'll have the degree in hand. I hope. I'd love to have you on my sports part of my show because I do radio Ooh. and television. Yeah, isn't that exciting? <laughs> oh, please. Yeah, my, son, my son actually was a journalist, and um, I'm going to share with you, he's, written my, he's, written, he's helped me write the second book of my series. And uh, mine is a spy. It's Elizabeth Bromwell, Chronicles of an Expat Spy. You see me on the cover. And then the second book is, which is coming out this year, which I'm really excited about, is uh, Elizabeth Bromwell and the Case of the Chinese Leopard. And the leopard is on the China Wall in China. So it's it's really a spy novel, and it's the first. This is that is two, and then three will come out, and we'll be in Turkey for that one. So. Anyhow, I encourage you. I'd love to have you on my um, my Let's Just Talk for Sports. And I even had a sports journalist. That would be great. I, I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody just asked me to um, 
to do, you know, to cover fighting. And I've never done that before. I've done football, baseball, you know, basketball, but not, not in the ring and not cage fighting or any of that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's another world for me. So anyhow. But we're going to take a short break and give the name of your book again. Um, MK? Is that the way you want to be? Or is it Katie or MK? How do you want to be, you know, MK? Yeah, it's it's Katie, but my pen name is MK because I couldn't I couldn't put Katie Lever on a dystopia. Katie, I thought was too cutesy of a name. Um, but, but yeah, the the not surviving the second tier, and you can find it on Amazon or um, on my social media handles. That's Lever Fever on Twitter and Instagram, and that purchase link is in both of those bios. All right, so we'll be right back um, with MK Lever right after this message. These messages. We'll be right back. You're listening to Let's Just Talk with Katherine Riker. Did you know that memory loss now affects almost 7 million people in America? And the Alzheimer's Research Foundation estimates that by the year 2050, there will be 50 million people with dementia in America. Are you preparing your family, especially your grandchildren, for this issue? This is Dan Perkins, and I'm the author of a new book for children ages 9 to 12 and their families to help them understand that it's not their fault when Grammy can't remember them. Why Can't Grammy Remember Me is available at Amazon or through your local bookseller. Don't make your grandchildren part of the lost generation. Did you know that more than 100,000 Americans have a serious lung disease that very few people know about? I'm Dr. David Letterer, co-director of the New York Presbyterian Columbia University Interstitial Lung Disease Program. Idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, or IPF, is a severe irreversible disease causing scarring of the lungs. IPF can seem similar to other diseases, so many people with IPF may be undiagnosed or misdiagnosed for years. Symptoms include a persistent dry cough, shortness of breath, and a Velcro-like crackle in the lungs, which a doctor can hear. IPF generally affects people over 50 and is slightly more common in men, with a five-year survival rate worse than many cancers. Diagnosis is important, as treatments are now available. The Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation strongly recommends you see a pulmonologist if you experience shortness of breath that limits your ability to walk up stairs or hills, or an unexplained persistent cough lasting longer than eight weeks. Go to pulmonaryfibrosis.org to learn more about IPF. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers was created to serve veterans who deal with the lack of sleep due to their injuries. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides a free MP3 player for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. To learn how you can help, go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us to help a veteran make it through the night. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. 
The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year. Remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. As the world faces the challenges of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, Lions recognize that kindness matters now more than ever. And Lions and Leos are finding ways to continue to serve our communities. For more than 100 years, in times of need, Lions always find a way to help those around them. And after we emerge from this, we will be stronger than ever. Visit lionsclubs.org to learn more. We're back. You're listening to Let's Just Talk with Katherine Riker. We are back with M.K. Lever and her wonderful new book, Surviving the Second Tier. And we were talking about um, her involvement in her character, or she actually put some of her background into these characters, which is pretty exciting. And um, I'm so excited for you, uh, MK, because uh, it doesn't matter how young or how old you are, but to open up the door to let people really know what's going on in the world of, of, of college athletes, you know, what they what happens with them, what what their lives are like because when you get a when you get a scholarship, for instance, your scholarship, right? And you we talked mm-hmm. about your injuries and stuff like that. And how long can you be out if you have an injury without losing your scholarship? It depends on your scholarship agreement and it depends on your coach. Um, so there's a huge misconception in college sports that athletic scholarships are they're all guaranteed, they're all four year full ride deals and that's actually a very rare um it's a very rare agreement that college athletes have you know those guaranteed scholarships normally what happens is an, is an athlete will get um a scholarship a, a scholarship agreement that is typically a year in length and so they basically like Athletic scholarships basically expire at the end of every um, athletic season, just like a coupon. And the reason I use the coupon analogy, too, is that they really are like like discounts on your education. So very rarely do athletes get full rides. Um, there's only a handful of sports where, where college athletes get full rides, but the vast majority of college athletes um, are earning a scholarship for books or tuition, tuition or meals, meals or room and board. And it's also very easy for a scholarship to be revoked for reasons like injuries um, or illnesses or even if, you know, a coach leaves your school and a new coach comes in and a new coach doesn't like you. So there's a lot of financial instability in college sports that people don't talk about. Do you think um, as third Division One athlete, do you think the situation facing college athletes is better or worse than in previous generations? And what factors are involved in that? I think it depends on what you're talking about in terms of is it better or worse. You know, because my my grandpa, for example, he was he was a D1 football player, um, and at the time, you know, he competed with a leather helmet. 
um, you know, um, yeah, he would get a touchdown. I remember, just, but, uh, you know, I remember that they did that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the equipment was very bad. That You know, he would get um, a concussion and just be pushed right back onto the field. Um, and, and that still happens in some areas. I, I've, I've had teammates, you know, pass out on the field and, and come into the training room and go back out again without really any kind of protocol. But, um, but you know, I mean, some, some health and safety has improved, I would say. Um, I think name, image, and likeness has been a great development for college athletes, um, and that's something that previous generations have not had access to because the NCAA has been very strongly against name, image, and likeness and had to be forced by the states essentially to enact any kind of name, image, and likeness um, policies. So I think that there have been some improvements. Um, I think also that, you know, the college sports industry in general has become a lot more competitive. It's become very cutthroat, um, both for the athletes and for the coaches, because, you know, most coaches who aren't like Dabo Sweeney or um, Nick Saban, they're also are, are, are fighting through a system and trying to advance in a system that really doesn't benefit them in the way, you know, that, that it should very, very similar to, to the kinds of issues that college athletes face with a lack of protections and a lack of stability and security. Um, and so I, I, see, I see a mix of both. I see some ways that um, the NCAA has improved um, from previous generations, and I see ways that it's also created a lot more pressure um, and a lot more harm for college athletes. So it's a bit of both, I would say. Yeah, I think it's really, and you know, I, I think that the general public doesn't really understand that. So this book is going to be really important to, you know, kind of, it's almost like a, it's fictional, but it's also giving you a guideline of what's going on, don't you think? Yes, and that was a huge goal of mine for surviving the second tier was for people to read it and to, you know, even if they had never watched college sports or never followed the NCAA for them to think like, ooh, is this, is this really going on? You know, and, and to be concerned. Um, and I also wanted to paint a much more realistic image of what life is like as a college athlete because I see it very, very glamorized from the outside. Um, and then going through the NCAA myself, I, I would see all these representations in the media and think this is not what this is like. Um, it's very hard. You know, athletes have a lot of mental health issues. They can be dealing with abusive coaches and injuries and all kinds of things that aren't covered in the media. And then athletes, too, with media stereotypes are, are so often portrayed as dumb jocks, and they're very one-dimensional. Um, and so I wanted to create a more realistic picture of, of athletes as well and, and you know, talk about them as, as more than just what they can produce on the field. Right, and I think that, Unfortunately, you're right. And some, I think the media, and I'm not like the normal media. I own all my things, so I can do what I want. It's oh, that's nice, really. <laughs> and um, I, I really want to tell the truth out there about what's happening in schools, what's happening, you know, to athletes, what's happening. You know, there's so many things that go on in your life and so many stresses today, you know, especially mm -hmm. in the mental health point. But there's corruption, censorship, control, exploitation, surveillance, and abuse, and other issues within the college athletic industry, true? Yes. So when you say censorship, what are we talking about? So, you know, something that really struck me when I was a college athlete was 
you know, these coaches who were saying, like, when you are out and about, you know, you are not just representing yourself, you're representing the program. Um, and that, you know, imposed a lot of barriers on what we could and couldn't post on social media and, like, a lot of pressure for us to uphold a certain image. Um, there have been stories of athletes who have supported social movements on social media and, um, you know, have, have gotten, have received backlash from coaches or, or threats to take away their scholarship. Um, I was talking to some athletes a couple summers ago um, who were wanting to get involved in, in this social media movement called We Are United, where all these athletes were coming together and, and asking for uh, players associations and COVID protections and things like that. And they were really afraid of getting involved because they didn't want their coaches to find out and, and punish them. Um, and so there are a lot of restraints that are placed on, on college athletes and what they can say and do in their social lives and on social media. Um, a lot of coaches too, like I remember, um, I remember reading an article about, um, about uh, team rules and the different uh, restraints that they imposed on college athletes and how these there were there were you know very clear rules about what athletes could and could not say you know if they could or could not go to the media and even if they could or could not be in relationships um, because there is a fear that they would be distracted so I view all kinds of, I view all of that as as censorship and just very um, excessive control over college athletes. Uh, and college athletes aren't allowed to be paid like professionals, correct? True, yes. Are some of them getting money? Is that the corruption part you're talking about? You know, I I know that there are certainly some under-the-table payments mm-hmm. that are going on. Um, I am personally not against athletes being paid. Um, I think that, you know, athletes that generate billions of dollars for this college sports industry deserve a cut of it. Um, I, agree. And when I, I agree. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. That's that's a pretty um, that's a pretty unpopular viewpoint, um, which is just which is very. I mean, it's not surprising for me based on my research and how college athletes are, are viewed and infantilized and have historically been been stripped of of rights um, and, and just overall dignity like that. But when I think of corruption, I also think about so I think about that. You know. That, that form of exploitation, I also think about just corruption of character on behalf of people who oversee college athletes. So um, I think the NCAA is being very irresponsible right now and putting so much of its focus on regulating NIL and the transfer portal. When we're, you know, talking about the mental health piece, we've had, I think, five athletes commit suicide this year um, at the college level, and th- those are just the ones that make it to the media, you know, and so – to not focus on the health and well-being of college athletes while actively trying to control them, I think is a huge moral failure of the NCAA. I agree with you totally. I mean, mm-hmm. mental health is so important. And I think, you know, I lived in Asia, and I watched, well, it was parents more than coaches. Well, there were coaches too. But would push kids to the limit. They would be working and yeah. studying so hard and so long that they were committing suicide at age 10 mm-hmm. and 11. Wow. So, I mean, you know, and they put so much pressure on kids that they're living in their kids' footsteps. A lot of parents are, too. And some parents are to blame for some of this stuff as well, especially in the mm-hmm. younger leagues, you know, uh, in the beginning leagues for kids. Um, you see that, and I'd like to see that structure change immediately. Yeah, I 
I, I tell people all the time, you know, like if the NCAA magically fixes itself overnight and I have to find something new to study, I'm going to look at the youth sports industry because all of the pressures that college athletes have, it, it all has this trickle-down effect to, to very young athletes who feel pressured to perform at their best and, and earn a scholarship, and there's all kind of, you know, parental pressure as well. So it, it's just it, it's a very nasty system that's been set up, I think. So we're getting – to the end of our show, what is next for your career and what do you hope to do in the very near future? Yeah, so dissertation is definitely um, very uh, prominent on my mind right now. Definitely got to get that done and get my PhD. Um, and I'm going to be on the job market soon. So I'm going to be looking at academic jobs. Um, and I'm also open to industry jobs. So anything in, you know, the media, in journalism, um, I've done some consulting that I've really enjoyed and advocacy and nonprofit work. So I have, I, I have interest in a lot of different areas and I'm trying to figure out where to land. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. I'd love to have you back on my television show next. How about that? I'd love that. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell Scott that I said I want you. <laughs> okay. I'll email him. I'll right after I know him very, done. very. I know him very well. He has a lot of my clients, so we're you oh, know awesome. we're there. So um, I want to thank you um, for coming on our show for writing your book. Uh, and for doing a lot of the things that you're doing. And if you'll wait with me till um, I end the show, I want to get something from you if you don't mind, if you don't mind, okay? So I want to say, where can people purchase your book again? So you can find Surviving the Second Tier on Amazon. If you just look it up in the search bar, it'll pop right up. Um, and you can also find the purchase link in my social media bios. It's Lever Fever on Twitter and Instagram. All right, and just stay with me um, while I end the show. And thank you for joining me today on Catherine Raker's Let's Just Talk. Go to our website at letsjusttalkradio.com. But visit us on catherinerakersworld.com. That's our television site, and we have everything in there. Thank you very much for joining me, and can't wait to have you on our TV show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Catherine Raker's Let's Just Talk on the Blacks and Whites Network.